Biz Women Rock, Episode 65. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast, where we interview women from all over the world who have phenomenal business stories so that you can learn from their journeys. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. We've got a great show. Before we do, I want to make sure that you know that you can get all the show notes for today's show at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 65. And while you're there, go ahead and opt in so that you can become part of the special BWR Connect, which is our private Facebook group. Today, we're giving a big shout out to our Business Women Wednesday feature, Crail Funch. And Crail is an entrepreneur with a lot of different businesses under her brand. One of those is called An Appealing Plan, which is a lifestyle business and blog that really combines her passion for entertaining, design, gardening, travel, all that sort of stuff. And even though she has a lot of different businesses, really what all of them focus on is bringing a lot of beauty to the world through her products and services, things like container gardening, home and event styling, social marketing for creative makers, and seasonal decorating. She's been featured in Bucks Life Magazine, Tableware Today, HFN, and she's also an eHow lifestyle expert contributor. Crail, you're doing great things and just keep up the amazing work. If you are interested in learning more about Crail um, and how you can be part of the Business Women Wednesday series, just go to bizwomenrock.com and go ahead and click on the Business Women Wednesday graphic. Now let's get into today's interview. Today's guest is Isabel Foxen Duke, who is a blogger, a writer, and a coach who helps women stop their crazy relationship with food and dieting. Um, she is completely changing the conversation about getting out of, let's let's call it like the rat race of weight loss and diet and all that stuff. Her journey has been really, really fascinating. Uh, her business is about two years old and she has basically built it by writing and blogging about this craziness and about her experience and the really great way that she has found to kind of get out of that entire um, that entire roller coaster. She works with women one-on-one -on -one as a coach. And in this interview, she really gets deep with us about how she built that audience in the first place. Um, she's got some really great tips about how to stay in front and build a community via email and how she's built a very healthy coaching program and now her plans for actually scaling that out even bigger than herself. She is full of energy. So hang on to your hats and let's get going. Isabel, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you for having me, Katie. This is awesome. I know. I'm so excited to have you here and to have a great conversation with you because I think Number one, you as a businesswoman are very, very fascinating. And so I'm so, so excited to really share that story of how you've grown your company. And secondly, the topic of which you uh, have built a business on, I think, is very fascinating to a lot of women. And it's really one that centers around women and body and our relationship with food and all that comfort level and discomfort level and diets and all that sort of good stuff. So in order for us to really understand kind of why and how you've built this great business, I really want to start with your own personal experience with body and food and weight and all that sort of stuff. Tell us a little bit about how you, uh, you know, immediately kind of got interested in this topic and what it has meant to you. 
up until a few years ago when I kind of was frantically looking for the solution out of body food misery. I mean, for as long as I can remember, you know, I think even going as far back as to when I was a really small child, I often say like I was three or four years old when my doctor first put me on a baby diet. I've oh, wow. always been, yeah, I've always been, I've been on and off the diet train forever. And it didn't always look like, you know, kind of your classic, you know, Atkins or Weight Watchers or whatever. I mean, it would be diets of my own devising. It would be just constantly trying to control my food in some capacity to another. And then, of course, almost always followed by some sort of falling off the wagon, right? Some sort of dramatic binge eating, horrible, like fell into a pile of brownie batter situation. (laughs) It just Um, happened. I don't know how. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this was just exactly it was it was like crazy roller coaster with food for my entire life like i was either constantly either restricting and like doing a good job at losing weight which was of course the ultimate goal at that time in my life and then on the flip side falling off the wagon failing at the diet or whatever it was that i was trying to do even if that thing that i was trying to do was as simple as just don't eat too much you know like just try and only eat healthy or you know whatever other kind of catchphrases that people give themselves that may not sound like traditional diets, always sort of like I'm either in control or I'm out of control. And what I sort of realized along the way at some point in my life, it became really clear, okay, this is a problem. Like this is a huge problem. I sought help from, you know, a variety of different sources, traditional therapy, you know, different alternative sources. I went to a million different coaches. I mean, I have done every single program around emotional eating in quotes that you can possibly think of, right? So it's, it's not even, I always just say, it's not even that I tried every diet. Yeah, I tried every diet before the age of 19. But then between the ages of like, let's say 19 and 25, that whole six-year period, I was looking for the solution to this roller coaster, right? To this, I can't, I'm always on or off, can't control myself around food, you know, what's wrong with me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So So I was on a very sort of long journey finding the solution to my quote unquote food problem, which today I kind of refer to as feeling crazy around food. Like I help women feel, stop feeling crazy around food. That's what I do. That's my tagline. So what was the major turning point for you? So you've spent your young adulthood going through the diets and then trying to find the solution. So what was the major turning point that ended up taking you in the direction of your current business? Yep. So there were a lot of things that I learned along the way from sort of traditional emotional eating people, coaches and things like that. And I learned a ton over that sort of six year period. But what ultimately really came to a head for me and which was kind of is sort of the backbone of my business as it stands right now is that I realized that not eating emotionally for the purpose of weight loss was never going to work. And as long as weight loss was the goal, I was going to continue to be obsessed with food and thus consistently on and off this roller coaster wagon, however you want to define it. So essentially what's different about my business, and which I think is very unusual in the emotional eating community, especially amongst health coaches and things like that, is that weight loss is not a goal, right? Like my, the purpose of my, I don't promise women weight loss. I don't use weight loss in my marketing at all. I don't care if the women that I work with lose weight or not. That's not the point. The point is to gain sanity around food, to make peace with food, to make peace with your body, right? 
to get out of this sort of state of mind of, oh my gosh, I'm either doing so well and my self-esteem is totally intact because I ate the right thing today versus, oh my gosh, I feel like I about myself because I ate the wrong thing and I fell off the wagon and like I'm such a terrible person, right? So that's, I think, where my business really like had a major turning point. For, there were probably a couple years where I felt like I really had some strong solutions around especially ending binge eating. And I felt like I couldn't sell it to people. I felt like I couldn't share it with the world or that I didn't have something new to say because I didn't really lose weight when I stopped binge eating necessarily. I was kind of maybe a little bit, but I didn't have some dramatic weight loss story to sell people. And I always, you know, that was sort of a big marketing challenge for me was, okay, like, I feel like I found this like amazing solution, right? Like I feel like my, my life is sane. Like I have a big full life now. Like I can go on dates and feel good about myself. Like there's no night that I'm staying at home, like not going out with my friends because I feel too fat. Like that doesn't happen to me anymore. I'm not on or off this wagon anymore. I, my, my relationship with food is completely stable, sane. It's a non-issue for me now. And that's an enormous accomplishment. So why does it have to be about weight loss, right? And there's this sort of myth that, we have to sell weight loss. Otherwise women won't buy our products. And I'm kind of out to really change that because I think that women actually want more than weight loss, right? They want what weight loss represents. They want to feel confident in themselves. They want to feel good in their skin. They want to be able to have sex with their husband with the lights on. That's what women really want. That's why they want to lose weight to begin with. So that's what I'm selling. So, uh, and you've done a very good job of it. You have, you know, a very healthy six-figure business and you are not, you're just about to turn two years old and you're about to really go into the stratosphere. We're going to get into that a little later. But how did you even start making that a real viable business? Like, what did you do from this moment of, I think I have a solution and let me figure out how I kind of make it sexy to people to actually generating revenue from that. And then we'll talk about your business model. Yeah, so I had some, you know, really, really great support right off the bat. You know, I, I always say I had no idea what an email opt-in was when I first got into this game. And I hired a coach who, you know, literally said, okay, like, what we're going to do. Well, actually, I'll back up for a second. So I started writing a blog at some point just for fun that I didn't show anyone, right? Like, it was just completely my own. I didn't share it with, like, my parents, let alone, like, really publicize it on Facebook or anything else. It was just for me to just kind of... I knew that I was onto something and it was just for me to kind of like make sure that those thoughts were being stored somewhere. At some point I hired a coach who I kind of talked to about, okay, I know I want to start taking clients. I really have no idea how to do that. And she was like, okay. And she basically, she trained me in sort of traditional online marketing. She read my blog and she was like, Isabel, this is really good. Let's get this out into the world. So I created a website. She said right off the bat to me, she said, your email opt-in is the only thing that matters, right? Like you want to be communicating with as many women as you possibly can via email. That is where your long game is, right? Like whether you get a client today or not, your long game, right? And we'll talk about this more in the interview, but your long game is in that ability to reach as many people as possible. So I kind of had that in my mind. And then I just started focus on building my email list because that's what I was told to do. And I didn't even really worry about clients. I had a full-time job. I was making decent money. I wasn't in a huge rush, but what ended up happening was I had a little button, you know, I had my email opt-in then I had a little button on my website said, click here to sign up for a time to have a consult free, free consultation with me. 
And as my website got in the hands of more and more people, ever so often I would get these like little like pop-ups in my calendar, you know, so-and-so has signed up for a free consultation. I'd be like, oh, oh my God. You know, like the first time somebody signed up for a free consultation, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> what like, do we Somebody do? wants to work with me? Yeah. So was, <laughs> this was all email marketing based. I mean, this was not even email. This was all just internet marketing based just through my blog. Every single person I've ever worked with just found me, stumbled upon my blog, read through my stuff and clicked on a little button do you want to talk to Isabel? Wow. Um, and yeah, and now, you know, now the process has changed a little bit because I'm fully booked with clients. I can't take on any more clients. So that little button has changed to sign up for Isabel's wait list and process is a little bit different for me today. But that was really how it started was that I just started promoting my blog as far and wide as I possibly could. And I had a little button on my blog that said, click here to sign up for a free consultation. And I worked in sales actually before I started my blog. My full-time job before I started my blog was working in the admissions department of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So I definitely had a little bit of experience with sales also. So I was very comfortable with my consultations and my calls in that manner. The first few were a little nerve wracking and tricky, but definitely got the hang of talking to strangers about personal issues at this point. Right, right. Okay, so let me dig in just a little bit deeper into that stuff. So this idea of building your email list and, and you know, having the opt-in on your site. So when they opted in, they were opting in for to get on your newsletter, right? Well, they were opting in to get a free guide okay. called How to Not Eat Cake. Gotcha. So my whole website is, a lot of people think my blog is called How to Not Eat Cake. It's not the name of my blog. My blog is isabelfoxandduke.com. But the opt-in is called How to Not Eat Cake, right? That's the free guide that you can download to learn how to not eat cake. Really, the full title is How to Not Eat Cake Really Fast Standing Up When Nobody's Looking. So it's kind of like <laughs> a little bit of a play on words. But yeah, so that was, you know, my whole, if you go to my website, my opt-in is, front and center. It is like the yep. only thing that matters. That website is just one big driver for my opt-in. Once you're collecting these emails, what are the logistics of what you're doing to stay in communication with these people via email? I'm sending my blog posts to my email list every time I put out a blog, basically. I actually care more about my emails than I actually care about blogs. Like sometimes I will send out emails with content in them with like really relevant, valuable content that's helpful to my email list. And I won't even make it a blog post. Now I'm kind of getting more into the habit of like, just put it in a blog post, no matter what I have been outsourcing. I have a new assistant who's very great and she just kind of handles that for me. So I don't have to worry about it. There have been times where I've sent out content just to my email list, just because I want to stay current and I want to stay relevant. I want to be constantly giving good content. I want to be a reliable source of information to the people who are reading my emails. Like I think of that, my email list is my community, right? Like they are the people who are interested in what I have to say. They are my true audience. And I make a point to make sure that I communicate with them and not only communicate with them, but give them valuable content real valuable content that keeps them interested and engaged with what I'm saying that's going to be helpful to them, that actually gets them from point A to point B in their own journey at least once every two weeks, at least. Mm. Okay, so the realities are is that you're building this community, you're keeping in communication with them, they've opted in because they're they're very interested in what who you are and what you have to offer, and then you continue to give them relevant content, whether it's really great strategies that you've come across, whether it's a personal experience that you've had that you want to share and sort of build that story and that, that relationship of who you are, and they're just, they continue to be engaged, right? Exactly, yep. 
And then, yeah. and then in the beginning, at least, you offered the opportunity to, to work with you as a coach. And now, now you definitely have a long waiting list for that. So talk a little bit about some of the lessons that you've learned in these past two years, being a coach and specifically being a coach in a space that is very personal and is completely in charge of shifting the paradigm for women and their relationship with food. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, initially when you first phrased that question, I thought to myself, well, the first thing, if you're going to be talking about these issues is to just have no shame, right? Like, I think that that is uh, one of the reasons that people read my content is because I will say anything that is true on the internet, right? Like this is a difficult conversation to have. This is a difficult thing to talk about. And people really, really appreciate being related to on a real level. And like, if you're going to relate to somebody's struggle, which is, in my opinion, really what good business practice solved a problem, you have to be able to talk about a problem that may be uncomfortable for you to talk about in a real way. I'll just say first and foremost, I think that that's probably the primary reason that my that people read my content is because I'm t- I will say things, I will say what's real for me and for my, and for the people that I'm trying to help without like, I'll, I'll, without shame, like I'll say it, like I will talk about binge eating. I will talk about like that time that I like felt too fat to go out at night. I will, I will say anything that is relevant and helpful and important and real. Well, and I think um, the the huge, huge takeaway there is that, and this is part of the the whole platform of the Business Women Rock podcast, is that when you really can share something so vulnerable and just let it be so honest and authentic, people can really connect with that and just sort of breathe easy and be like, oh my God, thank God somebody else is going through this too and I'm not the only one. Yeah. And now I can use that as a stepping stone to start to learn and start to, you know, get some ideas on how to move out of where I am right now. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, that's number one. And then number two, having integrity with what you do. Like it would be really out of integrity for me to be selling or promoting anything that relates to weight loss, because my opinion, trying to lose weight is sort of the beginning of the problem. I think that that's one of the reasons why the women who read my stuff sort of have, there's trust. There's trust between me and the audience. And that's because they know that I'm not going to ever bullshit them, right? I'm not going to send them something that is antithetical to my message. So you are not, I'm going to say this very, very nicely, but like you're not a cheap coach, you know, like you, people do yeah. invest a good amount of money and to, you know, you're not like the most expensive person, but you are, you have given yourself a price where it makes sense for you. It makes sense for your business and it makes sense for them. And they're really investing in this. What, yeah. how do you work through that, that conversation and that close really to say, here's what I can offer you and here's how much it's going to be? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. It's like, I think that this all goes comes down to consultation conversations, right? Where, and also, of course, there's the trust building before people even get on the phone with you, depending on your content, depending on that relationship that you've built through email, right? Like, I really start building relationships with people via email. Like, that's really the beginning. But, you know, when we get on the phone, by the time that we're on the phone, people need to understand, like, this is a big, what I'm selling is a big deal right? Like changing your relationship with food in your body is no small thing, right? Like at that point, most of the people who are reading my blog have spent hundreds, thousands of dollars on trying to lose weight, trying to go on to do diet things, fitness things. I mean, I think most women can relate to having spent some inordinate amount of money on trying to manipulate their body shape in some capacity in the past, right? So this is, this is not a, this is, you know, ending, a lifelong struggle with, with weight and dieting is 
not a is is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that happens overnight. It is it's a real investment, both financially and emotionally. And it's going to take work both on their parts and on mine. And we need to work together. It's really like, you know, conveying that like this is a partnership. This is no joke. Like you're either in it to win it or you're not. And I'm at a point in my career where I'm really thankful and glad that I have the choice to really say to my audience, I only want to work with women who are really in it to win it. Like it's not my worth. It's not worth my time to work with people who are happy. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to do this, like we're going to do this and it's going to be a big deal and it's going to be serious. And yeah, it's, it's not going to cost a hundred dollars. It's going to be a, a serious financial investment that you're making in your future to hopefully change your life in a very radical way forevermore when women are really connected to what the struggle is, right? Like, you know, the people who end up hiring me are ultimately people who are really struggling, like people who are motivated saying like, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be on this crazy roller coaster for the rest of my life. I can't do this anymore. I need help. Let's do this now. Like the women that I work with are ready to make an investment. And those are the women that I want to work with. There will be people in the future who are like, "Eh, I'm sort of ready, maybe not. And later on in the future, I would like to be able to offer products at different levels, depending on where women are. But as far as my personal time and my private coaching, my private coaching is definitely a serious investment. You know, that's where I spend the majority of my time. So I want to be careful and make sure that the people who are investing in that kind of a program are serious and ready to do some real work. Now, you alluded to being able to offer other products and stuff like that. So currently in this exact moment, you do you, your main revenue generator is your coaching. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about how you want to scale and some other opportunities that you are trying to create for that? Yeah. So right now, something very exciting is in the works that I haven't even officially like really talked about in too much depth publicly. So this will be sort of my first time really talking about it publicly, which is that I am in the midst of creating and developing a video training series that I can mass produce, right? So that whether five people buy this video training program or a thousand people buy this video training program, it's the same amount of work that I've put into it, right? It's scalable, right? Like once it's made, it's done. And then it's just, then I can sell it to as many people as I want to sell it. I can help as many people as want the help basically. So that's what I'm working on for the fall, which is a huge shift in my, as far as just like actual like revenue driving, it's a big change for me because I'm moving from basically trading time for money, which of course time is a limited resource and shifting into being able to help infinite numbers of people or make infinite amounts of money with the same time investment. Along this journey, what have been some of like the biggest failures that you've had? You know, you've been like, obviously very passionately in the trenches of building this for the past two years. What have been some some moments that have been just total failures for you? Uh, that's a really good question. That's something that I spend a lot of time fearing on a regular basis. In fact, I think that one of my biggest failures is that I just really let myself get too stressed out. Honestly, I would say probably the biggest failure and the biggest thing I've struggled with in my business and sort of the thing that I've had to figure out the most is figuring out what activities are worth my time and what aren't. Meaning I've spent an enormous amount of time investing in in activities and sort of projects and connecting with people that didn't turn into anything, right? Like I, when I first started my business, I didn't know what was going to be like a, a, 
uh, profit-making, worthwhile, audience-growing kind of endeavor versus something that was just going to turn into nothing. So I was kind of really, I really, I wouldn't say I wasted a lot of time because I learned from it, obviously, but I was really overextending myself, trying to do everything and like throwing jello against the wall because I I didn't know yet what was going to work. And to be honest, I think that that may actually be, there's a part of me that thinks, well, that may be inevitable for new business owners. Like everyone maybe needs to go through that period where they're figuring out what works and what doesn't. But I will say that like, as far as like failures are concerned, I would say that that's, that's really what I've been learning is I don't think I've ever done anything that's like been hugely detrimental to my business. I think that that's one of the benefits of having sort of like a low, low cost, sort of low overhead products that you're selling is that it's kind of hard for me to really have a huge, unless I like wrote something really controversial on the internet and got a huge backlash, like, which I also fear on a regular basis. I think that (laughs) (laughs) I, I, uh, I think that the biggest issue for me is definitely just managing my time appropriately. I've definitely, let's just say I've wasted a lot of time involved in projects that didn't materialize into anything. And like, a lot of sweat off of my brow has come for things that didn't even materialize because I didn't know better. Mm. So those are things that you kind of live and learn, right? Like I know what projects are actually going to turn into either revenue or list building. And I know which projects are kind of like not really worth my time. Maybe they look cool on Facebook, but I'm definitely like a yes to profits kind of person. Like I know that like having healthy margins and healthy revenue is what's going to sustain me in the long term. And I know that like my, just my personal energy, right? Like I have to take care of myself. My personal energy is, is limited to a certain capacity and I can't be, you know, extending myself all over the place for free. Like it just, it doesn't make sense for me unless it's like a super, of course I'll make exceptions for something that's super emotionally compelling or something that I feel really driven to on a personal level which does happen. Absolutely. But by and large, like, I think learning what projects to say yes and no to based on what's actually going to like create some sort of business bonus for me in some capacity is really important because at the end of the day, this is something that I do to survive in addition to being helpful to people. And I, unless something's really emotionally nourishing to me, like in a big way, it doesn't make sense for me to be doing things for free. So I really want to get into how you continue to put your brand out there. Your number one goal is to build that email list because that email list technically really feeds you and it allows you to really live your purpose in being able to really get this message out to women all over the world. So can you talk about some of the most productive strategies that you have had in building your email list? Yeah, so my almost my entire email list at this point has been built on guest posting, which is unusual because I definitely have a lot of friends who have not had a lot of success guest posting and have been very frustrated with using guest posting as a strategy. So I think that that's also, you know, a perfect example of do what works for you. I'm a good writer. I know I'm a good writer. Like this is a huge strength of mine. Editors love me. I've had success with writing in a way that I think that not all coaches have. So I'm very aware that while guest posting has been an incredibly good strategy for me, I'm very clear that that is not the case for everyone. Play to your strengths. 
for sure. That's super important. Just to clarify, yeah. so when you when you're talking about guest posting, uh, you know, guest blogging, I mean, that means that you are creating an article that goes on somebody else's platform that they they have their own audience that you're now getting in front of. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. And. Always plugging my opt-in at the end of articles. Gotcha. And you've done this for like, like no small audience. I mean, you've done this for like Huffington Post, for L, for Redbook. I mean, you are, you are in some major trafficked areas. And so you're always being able to, to put the link to your website and people see that obvious opt-in. Yes. Although to be honest, well, and to be fair, it didn't start that way. Like it started with smaller publications, but again, I'm a strong writer editors have picked up what I've seen. I've had editors like find me on Google and say like, I really love this article that we wrote. We want to write another article on such and such related topic. You know, will you write it or can we interview for you for it? it? It grew, right? Like I didn't, I didn't start with the Huffington Post. Let's just put it that way. But yes, right now I am in front of some big, you know, very heavily publicized publications, which is why my business is what it is today. Absolutely. So let's get into the what it really takes to be a great writer. Look, I, I know that there's a lot of kind of attention that has to go into the craft of writing. That's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about mm-hmm. what it truly takes on a, kind of a, a scheduling basis to be able to mm-hmm. produce content like that. Because in order to stay in front of your audience and store in, in, in order to, you know, produce articles over and over again for all of these places that you're posting and keep in contact with your email list, you have to produce content. So what sort of schedule do you have? Like what, how do you work as a writer and a producer of great content? Yeah, that's a, a really, really good question. I was actually just struggling with this yesterday. I kind of have little mini breakdowns about it because unfortunately, inspiration is not something you can schedule. However, you're right. I, as a writer, am working on the clock. So how do I sort of manage that? I think that, you know, I have a few different sort of skills. For one thing, I always, I will sit, I will make time to sit down and write regardless of whether or not I actually produce something that's worth putting out there in public eye, I will sit down and I will do it no matter what, knowing that some of them are going to work and some of them aren't. Right. So that's like, number one is like, do you have the discipline to sit down and write, but do you also have the flexibility and then be able to look at your writing and say like, okay, I had an off day today. Nothing came out of me or today, or this just totally like at, you know, 11 o'clock on a Thursday night, I had this sort of like verbal diarrhea, you know, (laughs) moment of inspiration, like got to write it down. And I will regularly, like if I have an idea for a blog post, I will email it to myself no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, it takes two seconds, right? Like idea pump, just like, put it in email, just put in your email so you don't forget it. Because it's amazing how many ideas come to me that I just forget about if I don't write them down. And sometimes they turn into great blog posts and sometimes they don't. And that's okay. But you still have to have the discipline to like, make sure that you're like, banking away a your ideas and b putting the discipline in to actually sit down and write your ideas. If the idea comes and the inspiration comes and you have the time to write, that's really ideal. That's like the best of both worlds. That's really, I think, probably when my best content has been written and my most viral content has been written when I'm just like sitting around my apartment and an idea strikes me and it's like, oh my gosh, get to my computer now, get this out. But, you know, of course, a lot of the time those two things don't link up, right? So I think it's sort of a combination of, making sure that when inspiration does hit, you're taking note of it and putting that idea somewhere visible that you're not going to forget it and be actually taking the time and disciplining yourself to sit down and write, knowing that sometimes the inspiration won't be there and your writing's going to suck. And sometimes it's going to be like really, really good. And like the words are going to come and flow really naturally. So I guess the answer to that question is a combination of discipline and flexibility, you know, like 
I am very disciplined about writing, very disciplined about most things in my business. I'm a self-proclaimed control freak. It's probably a curse more than a blessing. However, I also know that like my business is really as successful as this because of my creativity, not because of my discipline. And I have to work with that. You know, I have to work with sort of the gods of inspiration to some extent. I have to have some level of flexibility and some level of like letting go and acceptance around that within the context of discipline. That makes Mm. sense. I love that description. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I definitely, I, I definitely identify, I'm a writer and I truly enjoy creating something that truly touches people and being able to use beautiful words to be able to do it. But I definitely am sort of, I've had, I've had time, kind of phases in my life where I'm very, very disciplined with that. And then phases in my life where I'm definitely not disciplined. And I sort of like am on the whim of the creativity. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so the, I totally agree with you that like the combination of, of those two and sort of letting those play together very well is so ideal for creating really great content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, balance, total balance. What do you do really currently to be able to make sure that you're constantly staying strategic about your business. You spend your day kind of working in your business, producing this content, doing X, Y, and Z for uh, marketing or writing your email list, whatever it is. Uh, What are you doing to make sure that you're constantly sort of strategizing on where your business is going next? Well, I think first of all, it's staying current with what my peers are doing and making sure that it just sort of staying on top of industry standards to a certain extent, which probably if you're listening to this podcast, you're already doing, which is great. I also think that there's something to be said for looking towards other industries and looking to people that are different from you for ideas, right? I think that one of the problems that especially the health coaching world gets caught up in, and one thing that I've really you know, done successfully is distinguishing myself and making myself different. And a lot of people, I think, in the health and wellness world, they all kind of sort of like end up for lack of a better word, like copying each other. And all the, you know, it's like, how much can we talk about kale? Like it all becomes like really stale after a while. And I think that that's sort of one of the bigger issues that that health and wellness is professional face from a copy and marketing standpoint. So even beyond copy and marketing, but certainly in copy and marketing, I would say be looking not just to your people in your industry, because absolutely they know something that you don't, but also looking outside of your industry, right? Like, I have gotten a lot of inspiration from people outside of the general health coaching world that really informs my, certainly my copy. I've also done things like the photographers that I hire, the video people that I hire, none of them have ever worked with health and wellness people before in their lives, right? They haven't even worked with self-help people. You know, like I have a very specific like creative artistic vision that I'm going for that's heavily influenced by industries totally separate from self-help. And I think that that's, that's important. So, you know, just always keeping one eye out, you know, like know that the new thing hasn't happened yet, right? Like the new hot thing hasn't happened yet. You got to look out for it. And I think that's, that's something that I definitely try to do, right? Like how can I stay? The only way for me to stay on the cutting edge, so to speak, and to stay relevant is to bring something new to the table. And the only way that I'm going to do that is if I'm inspired by someone probably outside of my industry to some extent. Mm, uh, great answer. I absolutely love that. I really want to bring a co- this conversation to a close by asking you, what is your vision for your company and what do you want this to be? And kind of what are the next steps for you to, to achieve that? Well, so right now, like I mentioned before, this uh, video, this I'm, I, from like a myopic standpoint, I'm really, really focused all my energy on launching this video program in the fall, right? This will be sort of my, my first mass marketable available to everyone program. 
So that's huge for me. Like I am, I am trying not to overwhelm myself by thinking about anything beyond November right now. That being said, in the long term, I think that there's a lot of different sort of avenues that my business could go. And I almost hesitate to even discuss this because I'm like, maybe I should keep them secret. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to steal a phrase from integrative nutrition for all of you out there who are familiar with integrative nutrition. It's all about the ripple effect, right? And shifting the paradigm, right? Like I have a big message, like I have a big cultural paradigm shifting message. And are there ways that I can, how can I possibly, I'm always looking for how can I possibly spread the good word, so to speak, around body image and, you know, relinquishing food control and diets and all this craziness around food. How can I do that in bigger and better ways and new and different ways as time goes on? That's really sort of the core of my business. That's, you know, the mission of my business. And I have a feeling that, you know, while I have this, you know, big project coming up, that will certainly be a, a a, a change, a big change in my revenue structure and how my business functions. Next year, 2015, 2016, 2035, know, we'll all have sort of different, I'll probably have different ways of attacking that same mission in those years and just sort of exploring and figuring out what, what will that be? It might not be coaching. It might not even be sort of direct self-help, maybe sort of more activisty or you know, any number of things. I may be working with other coaches, who knows? So we'll see how it's, it's kind of a big surprise. I'm, I'm open to inspiration on that front as well. Well, and I just love that you're up to big things. I mean, that's just really what it is. And I was so excited to talk to you because once again, I mean, just the fact that the business story is obviously so fascinating and how you've really done that. But on a larger scale, when you're really talking about the passion that you come to the table with for this completely paradigm shifting topic, I mean, major, major movement can happen there. And that's so exciting. So I just, I really want to thank you so much for sharing the story, for sharing, you know, all the great stuff that you have done and kind of the nitty gritty underneath it all. I just, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It was so fun. I, you know, this is something I very rarely get to talk about. And it's very exciting for me to talk about because it's what I think about all day long in my personal life. <laughs> um, so thank you for having me on to sort of share about my business more publicly. You can find out more about Isabel and her website at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 65. I so thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Isabel. She was super high energy. We had just a really, really great rapport. Um, Really, really enjoyed her. My biggest takeaway from that conversation was um, being able to very clearly find out what you're best at. She was very clear that she's a very good writer and, um, and she knew how to leverage that to be able to get in front of audiences that would be interested in her. But on top of that, once you are very clear on exactly what you're very, very good at, she was so good about, you know, pairing and having a good combination of discipline and allowing for change and creativity to really coexist together to be able to produce really great content. I loved that takeaway. It was wonderful. I hope you got something great out of this show today that you can take back and take action on in your business. Have a great day and I'll see you on the next episode. 